Wow. I think it's uh, I think it's pretty safe to say that that song is um, is going to go far once more people in this room are hearing it. I hope you know that it's a big deal that you just got to sing the words that you got to sing for the first time. And, and most of you, in fact, almost all of you do not know my name. And before I even introduce myself, I just am, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's that Paul was talking about his daughter and I have a baby girl on the way in January. And yeah, I know. But just listen, just hearing that song about God as our father. And I just want to say to somebody right off the bat tonight that God's perspective on who you are in this moment is not reflective entirely of your relationship with your father on earth right now. And so some of you are hearing that God is a good, good father, and you're thinking, what's that like? And God is not a reflection of your earthly father. He is the perfection of your earthly father. And you need to relate to God the same way a child who knows that their dad wants what's best for them should relate to them with pure acceptance, with no hesitation, with no condemnation, with nothing holding you back from coming into the arms of a God who's not mad at you tonight. God is not mad at you. God will really desires that you would see him for who he is. And there is an enemy to your life spiritually and my life spiritually who wants to block you from being able to see that. And we're going to talk about him tonight and we're going to talk about how to counteract those attacks. But I just feel in this moment, somebody needs to hear that. God is not reflective of what your earthly father is like. He is the perfection and he loves you. With that being said, my name is Miles, um, and I, yeah, it's like, nice to meet you. Wow, let's just go deep right off the bat. Um, my name is Miles, and I live in Auburn, Alabama, um, which is interesting for me to say because I grew up in Atlanta. I mean, I'm, I'm here, y'all, welcome to Atlanta. I was singing that in middle school, and, uh, and I was also, just tell you a little bit about me, in middle school in the metro Atlanta area, I was uh, one of those kids who was a little bit confused about my identity. Have you ever seen the movie Malibu's Most Wanted? That was my life. And, um, and I wore this, like, I wore this, this chain that was, um, they, now at my school we called it Iced Out, and, uh, and, and it was this Rough Riders chain. And, and it had this big R on it for the Rough Riders. Does everyone know who the Rough Riders are? Okay, I love seeing heads nodding because I talked about this in Auburn and nobody knew what I was talking about. I was like, you don't know the Rough Riders? I was like, I promise you our entire football team knows who they are. But I thought I was one of them. And uh, I, I had I had a watch that didn't look like this watch. It was like an old watch that me and my friends put like glue and glitter on so it could be iced out like the Rolexes that the Cash Money Millionaires were wearing back then. You remember this? And uh, so I was, you know, just trying to be so icy, so fast. And uh, and I was a basketball player. And and so I was, you know, I was I was the only the only white kid in my friend group. And I'm barely white. I'm Italian. And so uh, and, and so I was. Uh, I grew up in Atlanta. Li- 
and so I, when I say I'm from Auburn, don't think like some hick from Alabama. Like, no, I'm, I'm one of you. And, uh, and I'm so grateful and so excited to be one of you. Actually, I wasn't, I, no, there wasn't, there was another white guy in our friend group. He's not white either though. He's Arabic. Do y'all know Samer? Um, he comes here and speaks here. And uh, yeah, so Samer was in our friend group as well. He just wasn't good at basketball. And, and we allowed him to hang out with us. We thought he rounded us off well. So um so I, I grew up around here and, and I'm so grateful to get to preach to you. My wife, uh, my wife Courtney, is at, at home right now. She wishes she could be here tonight. And like I said, we have a girl on the way. And we pastor a church called Auburn Community Church. That's why we moved down there to start a church two years ago. And God has done an incredible work. And we have so many college students that come in and out of our church. So I get this chance a lot to talk to college students. And I want to talk to you for just a few minutes tonight about where you stand with Jesus and where you stand in your relationship with your heavenly father who is God. And I think it's important to know where you stand. It's important to know where you stand in any relationship, whether that be with your boss, whether that be with a friend. It's especially important to know where you stand romantically. Anybody ever got caught in the friend zone before where you were like, whoa, I thought I stood here, but apparently I stand way over there. There's a lot of pain that can happen in the friend zone. When I, was, when I was in 10th grade, I really thought that me and this girl were like uh, the start of something new. Anybody ever seen High School Musical? And uh, we were, it was like that. And High School Musical came out when I was in high school and I was a basketball player. So I thought, and my AAU team, we were the Wildcats. So I thought I was Troy Bolton. And, and I thought this thing was starting with this girl, but this girl who I was going to homecoming with didn't feel the same way. She just needed a date because she was on homecoming court. And I was only going with her because she was on homecoming court. And so we, it didn't work out. We got to the dance and she went off with this senior. And I ended up I was seriously heartbroken in my mom's minivan listening to, um, what was it? Let It Burn by Usher. That's what I was listening to. And I was thinking about the confession CD. Like what track was that? And, and so, listen, I, and my mom, she did not feel bad for me. Like, she was like, you know, son, you need to learn that when you're in a relationship, you have to know where you stand. It is so important to know. And I'm like, mom, I am heartbroken. The corsage is still on my jacket. Like, this is not over. And she's like, always, always, always know where you stand. Because when you don't know where you stand, you can get hurt. And you can get hurt when you shouldn't have even gotten hurt in the first place. Some of you, because you don't know where you stand in your relationship with God, you continually get hurt spiritually, and it's an unnecessary hurt that is happening in your life. Because if you truly know who you are in Christ, and you truly know what it means to walk in right relationship with God, there is a relationship waiting for you on the other side of knowing where you stand with Jesus that is so much better than where you think you stand right now. And where I feel like most of us stand in the room, and I don't, I don't know your story, I don't know where you're coming from, I don't know if you're at a point where you're walking with Jesus, but most of us in this room call ourselves Christians, followers of Jesus. And if you don't, you are so welcome to be here. You don't have to believe to belong here. We want you to feel like this is a family and like this is home. But most of us in the room do believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And most of us in the room don't believe that the future of our country rides on who gets elected tomorrow. We believe that the future of our country rides on Jesus and Jesus alone, and we hold on to him. And so we're followers of Jesus, but I feel like we stand in a similar place, watch this, to the people of God 
in the Old Testament when they were stuck in between slavery in Egypt and the possibility of freedom in the promised land of Canaan. If you don't know a lot about the Old Testament, the people of God were Israel, a country called by God to be different from the rest of the world. And the big problem was that they were stuck in slavery in Egypt for so long, and they got delivered by a guy named Moses to head into what was called the promised land, this amazing land of freedom. But in the book of Deuteronomy in your Bible, it's the fifth book of your Bible, it's kind of the story of what they did in the in-between. Like once they were gone from what used to be, and once they were headed to what will be, they were stuck in the middle and they got a word from God about what they should do. And I don't think that you and I are stuck in the middle between Egypt and Canaan. I don't think that's where we stand right now spiritually. I think most of you in this room stand in between the slavery of your past and the possibility of freedom in Christ in your future. I think so many of us live our lives spiritually standing with one foot in what was and one foot in what could be. And we constantly find ourselves going back and forth in this tension of, well, this is who I used to be. And these are the people I used to be with. This is the way I used to think. And this is what it used to be like. This is what it could be like. And this is what God's calling me to. And this is what my future could look like. And I'm I'm stuck in between the tension of the two. That's exactly where the people of God were in Deuteronomy chapter one. If you have your Bible and you want to follow along through there, you can do that. Deuteronomy one is the fifth book of your Bible, very close to the beginning. But if you don't, we're going to have it on the screen. Deuteronomy chapter one, and we're gonna start in verse eight. And God says this to the people of God, and I believe he says this to us tonight as well. This is Deuteronomy chapter one, and we're gonna start in verse eight. It says, God says, see, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. Finally, they've been delivered from all of this oppression and slavery in Egypt. It was horrible there, and they're looking in on what their future looks like. And God says, look at the land. I've given you this land. Now take it. I've given it to you. Now it's your job to take it. And Moses says the exact same thing in verse 21. He repeats God word for word. He says, see, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors told you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. So as they're looking at what could be, God is like, this is yours if you want it. And I want you to take it. I'm giving it to you, but now you have to take it. If you're here and you need like a sermon title to remember this sermon, this sermon is called Give and Take. Give and Take. And the principle, watch this, the principle behind this night, and some of you need to remember this, you might need to take a picture of it, you might need to find a way to recall this later, is this. God's revelation of giving requires our participation in taking. God's revelation of giving requires our participation in taking. And so when God has them look at the land and says, this is yours, it's not that they go, thank you, God. I'm gonna walk in the land now and it's, it's just mine. God goes, look, this land is yours. And they look in the land and there are seven different armies inside the land who are all stronger than them. They're going, God, you didn't give us this land. It's not even our land. There's enemies in the land. There are people who will destroy us if we walk in their land. And he's like, I know, I've given it to you, but you have to take it. 
When God gives you something and when God entrusts something into your life, it requires you to participate through taking it. And some of you are so disconnected spiritually and you think God's holding out on you and that God didn't give you the life you're really looking for. God gave you the life you're really looking for, but it requires you participating by faith and grabbing a hold of it and going, I'm taking you at your word and I believe your word is true and I am going to walk by faith in seeing the day where what you said becomes what I see. See, Sometimes what God says doesn't look like what we see, we back down. And that's exactly what the people of God do. Did you know after these verses in Deuteronomy chapter one, they don't take the land. 12 spies go into the land, they come back and they go, listen, the land is awesome. But there's people there who will destroy all of us. We can't take the land. We can't take it. We can't take it. Actually, two guys say, no, we can take it. We do have what it takes. It was Joshua and Caleb. And they end up leading the people into the land without everybody else who was there 40 years later. That's the next book in your Bible. Deuteronomy, then Joshua. Because our God is a God who, even when we had the opportunity to take what we should have took, he gives you another chance to take it anyway. Some of you have been sitting back on your life spiritually and you found yourself in this tension between the way life used to be before Jesus and the way life could be walking in that freedom and you've given a lot of ground to the enemy. And I'm gonna talk about Satan a little bit tonight. I don't have time to go into the full theology of who he is and where he came from, but here's what you need to know. Your relationship with God is give and take. God is giving you the life you've always desired and you want, and if you take it, it will be yours. But guess what? Your relationship with the enemy, Satan, the devil, is give and take. Whatever you give him, he will take. Whatever you give him in your mind, he will take. Whatever you give him in your relationships, he will take. Whatever you give him in your time, he will take. And some of you have ended up retreating for so long spiritually and going, I don't know how I ended up here and I don't know how I'm so far from the life I wanted to see God bring me to. And it's because you've given so much ground to the one who is out to destroy you and he has taken every single inch of But here's the great, great news tonight. Our God is a God of second chances, a God of third chances, fourth chances, fifth chances, and millionth chances. And just because the enemy has taken something from you, here's what he doesn't want you to know. You can take it all back. You can take it all back. And I am not making this up because it feels good for me to say that, That's exactly what scripture confirms when Jesus comes. And watch this. That's the exact opportunity that God gives the people even when they take the promised land. I want to show you some of the coolest verses in the book of Deuteronomy. And it's it's hard to find in Deuteronomy. Uh, When you're hanging out in this book, you're like, oh, something good. That's great. Deuteronomy chapter four. I want to show you what God says when the people go into the land. He warns them about what will happen if they walk away from him. This is so cool. Deuteronomy chapter four, verse 29 says this. God is talking about what will happen if they go into the land and end up going back to their old ways and old gods and old idols. He's saying, you're gonna go back to the slavery you came from and here's my deal with you. This is how amazing our God is. He says, but if from there, once you've been kicked out of the land, you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. 
When you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which he confirmed by oath. Listen to this grace. God says, I know once you get into the land that you were created for, you're, you're probably going to blow it and you're probably going to go back to your old ways and you're probably going to end up where you used to be in slavery. But just know once you're in slavery, what does God say? Does God say, you can never come back. Does God say, how many chances do I have to give you? Does God say, why didn't you figure this out the fifth time you made this mistake? Like you guys do this again and again and again. No, you can't come back to the land. I'm gonna give it to somebody else because you are worth giving up on. What does God say? He says, wherever you are, when you wake up in the morning and you decide, I don't wanna be here anymore and I wanna come back to the life you have for me. Whenever you wanna take it back, you can take it back anytime you want. Some of you need to know God does not talk at you or to you the way some of your dads have. Some of you need to know that God's message to you is whenever you want to walk in the freedom that I died for you to live in, it's yours. But if I give it to you, look up here, if I give it to you, you have to take it. It requires you doing something. And I don't know about you, but I can confidently say about me, I want to take every inch of the life Jesus died for me to live. I want all of it because I've tasted like a little bit of it. And, and the more I get of who Jesus is and what life looks like when it is lived fully and completely for him, the more I want because every other option I have for my life leaves me empty and desiring something in a hole inside myself that nothing can fill except God. And every time I come to him, he leaves me he leaves me satisfied. He leaves me going, this is why I'm alive. At my church in Auburn, we say all the time that every day is a new opportunity to step into the life Jesus died for you to live. Every day. And there is a life Jesus died for you to live and he's given it to you, but you have to take it. And sometimes what it looks like for you to take it is taking ground from your enemy because you've lost it, because you've been giving ground to the enemy for so long. And what the people of God had to decide when they finally did take the land, and you can read this story in the book of Joshua, is that God, I believe your power in me is strong enough to advance against the enemy in areas he has been advancing against me. So however much ground the enemy has taken from you, for some of you, it's years. For some of you, it's purity. For some of you, it's your childhood. For some of you, it's seasons of life. For some of you, it's relationships. But we all have things that we have given over and the enemy has taken from us. But when you decide, I want every ounce of the life Jesus died for me to live, I want it, you can take it back anytime you wanna take it back. But guess what? You're gonna have to take it from the devil himself. But here's the good news, here's the good news. This is amazing. You can. 
The option is on the table. If you have breath in your lungs right now, the Bible says as long as today is called today, do not harden your hearts. Do not sit here and go, I can't, I'm too far gone. No, you're not. No one is too far gone. How many chances does Jesus offer you? As many as you need. As many as you need. You can take it back. And so here's what I want to do. I want to give you three weapons you can use to take back every inch of ground the enemy has stolen from you. And ultimately, I'm, I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to go back to my wife and church and family in Auburn. And I'm going to do these three things because I believe that it is worth it to lay down every bit of your life to see Jesus glorified. I, I believe that this life is actually worth it. And so it's gonna be hard to do the things I'm gonna ask you to do, but ultimately it's your life, it's your story. And I would just say, as I throw these things up on the screen, whether or not you choose to go, okay, I wanna jump in on that and I wanna actually participate in that or nah, man, he's just talking about whatever. Like, he, I don't even believe he knows who the Rough Riders are. Yes, I do, DMX. I, I recorded him on a, now I got the edited version, calm down. Um, but I like, I would record him on cassette tapes, like on, uh, what was the old, the old radio station in Atlanta? Man, it was, it was, oh man, this was like 97, like this was a long time ago. You don't even know those days. I know y'all listen to 107.9, but, uh, but but this was, this was back in the day. And um, so ultimately what you do with this, I don't know, but I hope and pray that you will take every inch of ground the enemy has stolen. Number one is this. They're all give and take. They're all give and take. Remember, give and take. Number one is this. Give up indifference. Take up intensity. If you want to take back ground from the enemy, you have to give up indifference and take up intensity. I think one of the reasons why we don't take back ground from the enemy is because we don't realize that we are in a war for our souls. We don't realize that our stories are actually on the line. When we think about war, we don't think about what it's really like to be at war. Most of us think of war, the card game. You ever played the card game war where you're just throwing cards down? It's like the dumbest, most not productive, no skill involved at all. It's like, oh, look, I have a 10, you have a six, I win. Oh, look, I have a jack, you have a queen, looks like you win. That's how a lot of you approach your relationship with the enemy. It's like, however I feel today, whatever I want to think about today, whatever I want to do today, we'll just see how today goes. Listen, if you live like that, the enemy will take ground from you because you're not fighting him with intensity. You're backing down and giving him ground with indifference. You just don't care. And he will take it. He will take every day that you have a heart that says, I'm not going to wake up and intentionally fight this fight. And it is a war. It is a battle. You know what God told the people when they took the land of Canaan? He said, when you go into that land, and so a lot of people have a lot of problems with these verses. This is in Deuteronomy chapter seven. I'm not gonna read it, you can check it out later. But he says, when you take the land, I want you to destroy all of the people in there and not, don't just destroy them. I want you to destroy all of their gods too. And even if they're made of gold, even if they're valuable, I want you to throw them all away because God knew if they leave one little thing, one little compromise for the enemy to be able to gain a foothold, the enemy's gonna take it and that's gonna grow. The only way to take back ground that the enemy has stolen is through a heart of intensity that says, I know I'm in a fight. I know I'm in a battle and I have to remove idols from my life. And sometimes you got to get a little intense to do it. Sometimes you got to take drastic measures. 
You want to know where most of our idols are right now? You want to know? They're right here. This is, oh, I have a text message. This is, <laughs> see, this is an idol factory, okay? So we talk about idols for the people of God. They were tempted to go bow down to certain idols, and I don't have time to get into why they wanted to do that, but that's not your issue. Like, I don't think anyone in this room is going to go to their dorm room or to their apartment or to their house tonight and just be like, gosh, I really want to bow down to that totem pole. Like, I just, I'm so tempted right now. It just looks so good. Nobody in here is going, I'm struggling with that. And if you are, please speak to someone after the service, because that's, that's very weird. Um, that's not our issue. Idols are things that pull our attention and pull our hearts away from who we are in Christ and who we are as children of God. And what happens is when you allow idols to take ground from you and to take a place in your heart and you're indifferent toward them and you don't take steps toward fighting against the ground the enemy's taken from you, you will look up and not even know where you are. I will just admit to you, I am an extremely imperfect person and this is a major, major issue for me. And I've had to take some sometimes embarrassing measures to take back the ground the enemy has stolen from me in this area. I have a friend who came to me and was challenging me about my phone and he was telling me about how like he's, he's like locked out of the iTunes store on his phone. Like, he's like, my wife has to put in a password and I was laughing and making fun of him. I was like, are you in like seventh grade? What is your deal? You can't control yourself. And he was like, I get it. Like, like I, I don't need to have the power to do whatever I want on my phone because I won't, I know I'll get tempted and I know I'll fall. And he said, and I was just kind of like, okay, yeah, whatever. But when he said this to me, it made me think for a second. He said, I always wondered, why didn't Adam just cut down the tree in the garden of Eden? Remember the garden of Eden where God says, you can eat from any tree, just don't eat from this tree. He said, I wonder why Adam didn't go, great, I don't need that tree. Like, like if I can't eat from it, then let's just go ahead and get rid of that one. Like I, there's, idols in our lives. And I'm not saying for you, it's your phone. It could be a relationship. It could be a habit. It could be a bunch of different things, but you have to attack your idols with intensity, not indifference. And you have to go, I'm going to do even some crazy things to make sure this thing doesn't keep gaining traction in my life. Some of you, your exes need to be deleted from your contact list. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Like you don't even need to get, have that number. It needs to be off. They do not need to hit you up on the snap. Block them. Block them. Seriously. That's intensity. And that is ground. You know the enemy has stolen. In Jesus' name, I'm going to take it back. We're going to take it back. Listen. <laughs> when uh, you can take it back, and taking it back happens with intensity. I... When I hear that, when I hear those words, take it back, take it back. We were saying that, the leadership team was saying that as we were praying for you guys tonight. And I, I was thinking back when I was a kid and how, you know, we play, when we played basketball growing up, you always had to take it back. You always had to reset everything. Some of y'all need to reset to your life tonight. And if you're going to get a reset, you're going to have to take it back. You're going to have to grab things that have been taken from you. And guess what? You don't take it back with an attitude that says, I don't really care today. I'm not going to fight today. I'm not going to set myself up to win today. You have to take some sometimes drastic measures to make sure you take back what the enemy has stolen. So we got to give up indifference and take up intensity. That's number one. Number two, this one's so important, so important. You have to give up the product and take up the process. 
give up the product and take up the process. The battle to take back ground from Satan isn't one that happens in an instant. It's one that happens over time. And we get obsessed with the product in our culture. We get obsessed with the product spiritually. I know tonight that many of you, if I get the opportunity to meet you after the service, I know that for many of you, this message was helpful. Why? Because people love hearing about defeating Satan in their life. People love that topic. We get so excited about it. And when I, I can remember when we were at youth camp, when I was in middle school, like this, the parts of the songs that had the lines about Satan being defeated. I can remember that there was an old song that was actually birthed out of this church, out of North Point, that was... Uh, that would say Satan is vanquished and Jesus is king. And I can remember we were all in, in Panama City Beach, Florida, which is a place where you either get really close to God or really far from God in a hurry. And we were like, Satan is vanquished and Jesus is king. This is amazing. Yes, this is the best moment ever. And then three weeks later, we were all doing the same things hanging out with the same people, talking the same way, walking the same way. Why? Because victory over Satan feels great when you're at church and great in the really spiritual moments and great when emotionally you're on a high. But taking victory over Satan isn't a one-moment product. It's a lifelong process that happens a little bit at a time over time. And we become so obsessed with, yes, I want ultimate victory. Okay, well, guess what? If Satan has been taking ground from you for 15 years, you're not going to get it all back in 15 minutes. You're not. A, sometimes a sermon can't fix everything. Sometimes a song, you feel that power in that moment. And I'm back there just bawling my eyes out during that song about our heavenly father. I'm like, oh my gosh. But how, how quickly our emotions change. It's a process. Don't get caught up in making sure that you emotionally feel like it. Get caught up in the lifelong commitment that says, I'm gonna take ground from him every single day. I'm gonna make the devil pay. That's what, this, that's what this armband says, by the way. This is our, some of our church armbands. We say, make the devil pay all the time. So when somebody walks away from Jesus and we know they're out there doing drugs every day, we go, okay, that's fine. We're gonna baptize five more addicts. That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna hit the devil where it hurts. So if he's gonna take one of our people and do that with their story, that's fine. We're just gonna hit him right back. Make your life such that the process of taking ground from him makes him want to leave you alone. James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You start making the devil pay with the way you walk and the way you talk and the people you're leading to Jesus. He's gonna go, I kind of just wanna stop bothering them because they keep hurting me. It happens. I'm telling you, it can happen. Here's what I'm trying to say. Our world loves the finished product. Our God loves the work in progress. Our world is all about, man, just you, you gotta arrive, you gotta get there, you gotta, you gotta finish the job, you gotta make yourself look good. Listen, listen, it is not about the final product. It's about the work and process. If you feel far from God right now, it is not about in a moment being everything God has called you to be. It is about a lifelong commitment to become a little bit more like Jesus every day. And you might not be where you want to be, but thank God you're not where you should be. I'm still becoming more like Jesus. I'm a work in progress. The devil wants you to believe, look, you did it again. Look, you fell into that relationship with again. Look, you, you fell, you fell again, again. You're going, yeah, but I'm not where I was a year ago. And a year from now, I'm not going to be where I am right now. I'm a work in progress. Listen, when the people took the land, it did not happen with one battle. The battle of Jericho was crazy. They had to 
walk around a city and blow like horns all over the place. It was crazy. And then the walls came down. They had to fight the Amorites and the sun stood still. Read Joshua. It was a process of getting in there. It wasn't like, yes, we won. And, and now it's over. No, it's a process. And you got to commit over the course of a lifetime to this fight. I also want to say, just knowing that God's way, God's way is not about the easy way out. God's way is about the hard way up. And what that means is this, sin always offers you immediate medication for your wounds. That's why some of you fall into sin so often, because it makes being wounded feel better. It makes the pain go away. You're like, yeah, that, that, that feels good for a second, but you don't know, you know what it does? Ultimately, it gets under the surface and it poisons the wound and it makes it even worse. So, so I'm going to sleep with her, so I'm going to sleep with him, and it, and, and it makes the pain go away for a moment, but yet the next morning I'll feel worse about myself than I do right now. It increases the wound. It makes it worse. What God does is he goes right to your wound and he says, hey, this is going to hurt and this is going to be extremely difficult, but sometimes healing hurts. And when God hurts you, it's not because he's against you, it's because he's for you. And he's going to that place, that place that you don't want him to go to because he knows at the point of greatest pain comes the moment of greatest healing. And this is going to hurt and this is going to be hard and this is going to be a long process called rehabilitating you to who I've created you to be, but I'm calling you to walk in it. Take on, don't take on, oh, final product, Satan's been defeated. No, no, lifelong process. And the great thing about it is this, number three, and then I'm done. Number three is this, give up the victim, take up the victory. Oh man, give up the victim, take up the victory. So we got, we got to give up indifference and take up intensity. We got to give up the product, take up the process. Give up the victim and take up the victory. I think the number one strategy of the enemy that he wants to get your life to arrive at is in a position of hopelessness. Hopelessness. He wants you to believe that you have no hope of ever getting better or ever taking back what was stolen from you. And that could not be further from the truth. Here's what the people of Israel didn't realize. Here, don't miss this. I promise you, I'm almost done. As soon as God said the land was theirs, it was theirs. When what God says doesn't look like what you see, wait it will. The victory was already theirs once God said it. Now, for us, we're not waiting to go into the promised land, waiting for a word from God. We have a different victory than the victory that they had in battle. We have victory in a battle over sin and death where our Savior died on a Roman cross, and he didn't say the land is yours. He said this, uh, this phrase called tetelestai, and those words mean it is finished. The battle has been won. The victory is yours already. Here's what that means. God is not waiting for you to earn your identity in Christ. You already have it because the victory has been won. So when you're walking in that process over time to become more like Jesus, it's almost as if it's already happened, but not yet. You've already arrived in heaven. You've already become a child of God. He already calls you his child. He's already pleased with you. He doesn't see your sin. He sees his son because when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees Jesus' perfection. 
The victory has been won. And so you got to stop playing the victim. Oh, I'll always be addicted and I just can't get it right. And God knows I'm just not good enough. No, you're not a victim. You already have victory in Jesus. You've just chosen to believe a lie. Last thing, look up here. I promise you, last thing. Satan is lying to you. He's lying to you that God is angry at you. He's lying to you that you'll never be good enough. He's lying to you that you'll always be far from the life Jesus died for you to live. It's a lie. And as soon as you realize what's true, what happens? What did Jesus say? Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Some of you need to be set free in this moment right now. And that's the moment we're inviting you into. We're gonna sing a song. It talks about how the Father's arms are open wide. And it says, oh, come to the altar. And we don't have a literal altar up here. Okay, there's nothing that we're offering like a a physical sacrifice to. But I just want to invite you. If you want to take back the ground the enemy has stolen, maybe you come and bow during this song. Maybe you throw your hands up and surrender and go, the Father's arms are open wide. Really? For me, based on what all I've done? Yeah, all you gotta do is take it. How? Surrender. Throw your hands up and go, God, I'm yours. I'm yours. God has given you the life Jesus died for you to live. Will you take it, living room? Will you take it? Let me pray. Father God, thank you for this moment. Thank you for the story that you're writing, even so many lives in front of me right now. I pray in Jesus' name, that nothing would hold us back from encountering and experiencing you right now, that the enemy's lies would have no place here. In Jesus' name, we take up intensity. We leave behind the indifference of not caring. Help us to fight when we don't feel like fighting. God, we leave behind the product. We give that up and we say, it's not about being good enough now. It's about being a work in progress. And I pray that you give confidence to your sons and daughters now. And lastly, and most of all, Remind us, God, you've already won the victory. It is yours and yours alone. And we belong to you. We give you our lives. We give you this moment. As people come forward, as people call out to your name, God, I pray that you be glorified and that people have confidence that they can take the life you died for them to live. We love you and we give you this moment in Jesus' name. Amen.